Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Richards. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope. Now, for those of you coming across our broadcast, podcast, webcast, for the very first time, uh, we are here to answer your questions on the Bible. That's what we do each and every day, live at this time, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard and Pacific Time. You can calculate the diff- distance or uh, the differences in time based on where you are tuning in. And uh, we are excited to tackle any question that you have about the Bible, about biblical prophecy, about how to apply the Word of God to your life, how to give a reason for the hope that is within you in this increasingly skeptical world. Bring those questions on, and we'll be happy to tackle them as the broadcast unfolds. Uh, Joined here by my right-hand man, protege, all-around good guy, Sean Richard. Sean, how can people get their questions to us if they want to join on in? Well, if you're joining us on Reach Radio or one of our radio affiliates, you can send us your questions by email. The email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. The questions are plural. The F-O-R is spelt just like that, and hope, of course, spelt hopefully the way you're aware of at gmail.com. And that is, of course, available 24-7 to receive your questions and, if you so request, also to have replies to them. However, we are making that a priority to receive your questions to answer live on the broadcast. So if you don't get immediate responses, that means we have them in reserve. Also note as well, if we get through the broadcast without getting to your question, you can also email them to us just so it doesn't get lost in the mix. We want to be able to focus on the broadcast as it stands in front of us, and in doing so, the email address does help us keep things organized. If you would like to join us online, beyond email, of course, to engage with us live or post facto, uh, we have a Facebook page, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, our YouTube page, which is a reason for hope, and our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, christianfellowship.com. Click on the Watch Live tab, and you'll be sent to a screen not unlike YouTube and Facebook, where at the right-hand side of the screen, you'll have a chat box to send us your questions live, and at the bottom of the screen, our email address for writing down for later use. Also note that on our website, we don't run the risk of being censored on Facebook or demonetized and, uh, I guess, deplatformed on YouTube. We have been dealing with some very interesting run-ins, and we want to make sure that you are all two steps ahead of that if we are not uploading for whatever reason. And of course, it's not due to technical incompetence. We will recommend you join us on our website. They can't ban us on our own platform. Note the standards for the questions are sincere Bible questions. Sincerity means you want to hear the answer. The Bible is the substance of the answers you're looking for, not just vaguely mentioned in the question. And of course, that they are asked in the form of a question. This isn't Jeopardy, but it is at least formatted as such. If you want to receive an answer, ask a question, and we will treated accordingly. We also have some prophecy updates we want to keep you appraised of, and also questions that have been sent along to us by email and reiterated in the chat. So obviously, uh, 
very sincere pursuit of an answer. We will honor that, but we also want to honor God through His Word and involve right. Him in the process. So right. let's take a moment to pray. Yeah. Father, thank you that we can bring this broadcast before you. And we pray that you'd speak to the hearts of your people, Lord. Encourage them, uh, edify them, exhort them, comfort them. Uh, bring them into a closer relationship with you because they've heard your Word. And Lord, we are so confident uh, that you're going to do just that because your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets right through to the issues of the heart. And I thank you, Lord, that your word also never returns to you void, but always accomplishes what you send it out to do. So we look forward in advance to the wonderful things you're going to do. Bless this broadcast. Lead us and guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. That is true. Now, obviously, when it comes to the nature of prophecy, we don't just look at mentions of wars, mentions of pestilence, mention even of earthquakes necessarily. These are all things the Lord told us to look for in intensity and frequency as the time drew near. But as our good friend Don Stewart always is keen to point out, when it comes to God's right. prophetic calendar or his clock, his countdown, if you will, if we're going not off of uh, you know analog and all that fun yeah. stuff, if you can still track with that, Israel is the hour hand, Jerusalem is the minute hand, and the Temple Mount is the second hand. Right. We're seeing a bit of motion as far as the uh, events surrounding the hour hand are concerned, and that's where we want to draw your attention, right? Yeah, Matthew 24, Jesus uh, talked about one of the birth pains that we could look at as a, a general barometer of uh, our proximity to the return of Jesus. Uh, was the uh, advent of wars and rumors of wars. Now, that isn't just wars uh, in general, but wars in particular as they pertain to the people of Israel. And like birth pains, they increase in frequency and intensity as a big event draws near. So we always uh, like to keep a weather eye on what's going on in uh, Israel, uh, first of all, because the Scripture tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want to keep you abreast of these things so that you can pray uh, intelligently uh, about these things. But also, uh, from a prophetic point of view, it's very interesting how things continue to heat up in that region, particularly in the proxy war that is going on between Israel and Iran. If you were with us uh, last week, we talked uh, quite a bit about how uh, the last uh, preemptive strike that uh, Israel uh, conducted, Operation Breaking Dawn, uh, that uh, took out uh, Islamic Jihad positions in uh, the Gaza Strip and uh, actually took out Houthi uh, rebel missile uh, encampments in the country of Yemen. Uh, really kind of a regional conflict. Both the Houthis and Islamic Jihad, wholly owned subsidiaries of the Mad Mullahs in Tehran. Well, uh, there were some interesting articles uh, that were issued today, and it appears that September 1st may be uh, the countdown to another major dust-up going on in the Middle East we want to make you aware of. Uh, it was ushered in uh, by an article that was uh, written on the uh, PJ uh, Media website, uh, by Stephen Green with the headline, That Insane Obama-Biden-Iran Deal is Getting Worse All the Time. Uh, Stephen Green wrote, The Obama-era-Iran deal retread that uh, President Joe Biden won't stop pushing just entered dangerous new territory. The administration has dropped one crucial demand after another in the pursuit of a deal, any deal with Iran, no matter how crazy or dangerous. Two of the most egregious retreats occurred over the last few days, that is over the weekend. 
And the Gatestone Institute's Khalid Abu, uh, Abu uh, Toma warns that the uh, White House has effectively decided to sacrifice the Arabs, their interests, demands, and fears in order to appease Iran. Earlier this year, Biden unilaterally dropped sanctions on Iran's nuclear program put in place under President Donald Trump. The hope was to entice Tehran into negotiations. Uh, the only result was that Iran upped the ante as far as their demands were concerned. Uh, again, last week, uh, more of these uh, concessions were made. Uh, Saeed Zahira, writing for the Middle East-based Akbar al-Khalij, uh, reported last week that the United States decided to waive the demand to include the role of Iran's terrorists in the region in any settlement with the, Iran- the Iranians. In other words, Hezbollah, the Houthi rebels, uh, the uh, uh, various uh, sanctions like Islamic Jihad, uh, groups like Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip uh, would not be disarmed in any kind of regional agreement uh, with Iran. Uh, so, uh, once again, we see this concession being made. Uh, Zahira wrote, uh, Biden decided not to address this issue at all, nor the role of terrorist militias affiliated with Iran in Arab countries. Our State Department also over the weekend, according to reports, dropped objections to Iran's ballistic missile program. So they'd be free to develop long-range uh, delivery systems for the nukes. They'll continue developing New Deal or not. Now, this is fascinating because uh, on the uh, debka.com website, and uh, just a disclaimer about debka.com, it's a fascinating website about uh, events in the Middle East. Uh, our good friend uh, Ronnie Simone, the uh, tour guide that we work with on our Israel trip, and by the way, looks like we're going to be uh, working on putting together uh, details on an Israel trip, probably targeting uh, spring of uh, 2024. That's what we're looking at. Uh, So uh, be praying about that. And as details come together, we'll certainly let you know what's going on with that possible trip. We asked Ronnie about uh, the devka.com website, and he said that uh, it does appear to be a website that is connected with Israel's Mossad. Uh, Sometimes they will uh, issue uh, insider info that is uh, very uh, interesting indeed. Uh, Other times it could even be disinformation designed to keep Israel's enemies off balance. But uh, they had a very fascinating uh, article uh, today on the Debka.com website. The headline was, Iran tells Lebanese proxy Nasrallah, Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, to prepare to fight Israel over the Mediterranean gas fields. Now, we've told you a bit about the development of these large tracts of natural gas in the Mediterranean off of Israel. Two of them are already uh, developed and uh, up and running. Uh, the uh, ironically, biblically named Leviathan and Tamar gas tracks. But there is another gas track that is uh, looking at being open that is uh, directly on the border with Lebanon. Now, there are negotiations that are taking place between Israel and the Lebanese government about uh, how the uh, proceeds of this particular field are uh, going to uh, to be played out, how it's going to be divided between Lebanon and Israel. But it is definitely within Iran's uh, interest to make sure that such a negotiation isn't completed. 
Uh, on the Devika File website, they uh, said their military sources revealed in the last few days Tehran has instructed Hassan Nasrallah, leader of the Lebanese terrorist Hezbollah, to uh, gear up for a fresh round of fighting with Israel. And uh, the object of that fighting would be derailing any possible resolution of the dispute between Lebanon and Israel uh, and talks by U.S. envoy Amos uh, Hochstein. Uh, Above all, says Iran, the Lebanese government must be stopped from making any concessions to Israel for a deal, even at the cost of armed conflicts. You see, Iran sees four benefits from stirring up a fresh Middle East war. Number one, uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, will be tied up by fighting in Lebanon, too much to be free to launch an offensive on Iran's nuclear facilities. In other words, uh, Hezbollah would act as Tehran's hired mercenary for preempting an Israeli strike against Iran. For Tehran, Israelis' military feats in Operation Sunrise against the PLO, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip were not the last word. Uh, jihad is on standby to go into action against Israel that uh, would be time to coincide with the Hezbollah offensive. In other words, Israel would be fighting on two fronts at that point. Iran is burning to avenge the airstrike conducted uh, by Israel on August 7th that destroyed its key Yemen military base at Al-Hafa, west of the capital of Sana'a, in uh, the country of Yemen. And Iran calculates that Israel lacks the military resources for defending all its oil and gas platforms in the eastern Mediterranean. This perceived vulnerability is seen as a chance to inflict serious pain on Israel economically as well as militarily. Uh, The latest directives received from Tehran led Nasrallah to declare uh, over the weekend the issue of maritime borders, the Karish field, that is the far north field of gas tracks, uh, and Lebanese rights have nothing to do with the nuclear agreement. He said, in the event that Lebanon does not obtain its rights, which the Lebanese state demands, we are going to escalate whether the nuclear agreement is signed or not. The eyes of Lebanon should be on the Karash gas field and on the Lebanese border. So in light of these statements, uh, Israeli forces are on high alert on the northern border in readiness for any Hezbollah aggression. Defense Minister Benny Gantz warned that Iran's Lebanese proxy on Monday uh, that any attack on Israeli, Israel's gas field could trigger a reaction leading to several days of fighting and to a military campaign, although that is not what we want. So uh, it looks like September 1 is the deadline here, uh, because at that point, this Koresh gas field is going to go online. Uh, And so we would encourage you between now and the 1st of September to be praying for cooler heads to prevail, for peace to prevail in the region. However, it does appear that it is in Iran's interest, to sum all this up, to keep Israel uh, on a um, uh, off-balanced footing. Uh, regarding any kind of military campaign that could come against its nuclear sites. It also appears that uh, the so-called nuclear deal, as far as uh, providing any kind of teeth, any kind of restriction on Iran developing its nuclear ambitions, including ballistic missiles that could develop uh, and uh, deliver its uh, nuclear weapons, uh, is uh, definitely uh, losing its teeth. Uh, rapidly. So uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem in this area. Uh, Prophetically, we do see a war and a rumor of war here. Uh, We also remind you that 
In Ezekiel 38 and 39, we are told that Russia and Iran will be side-by-side enemies in a predicted last day's invasion of Israel that God himself will intervene and uh, put to a halt. We tend to believe this is going to happen in the tribulation period because Israel's defenses are going to be down. They're going to be under the umbrella of protection the Antichrist is going to provide. But the fact that uh, we see uh, Israel uh, and uh, Iran and uh, Russia and Iran uh, coming together as uh, mutual allies, including uh, a uh, very interesting deal that uh, Iran and Russia are uh, coming together as far as a drone program is concerned. Uh, all these players are coming together on the scene, and you know it just brings us back to what Jesus said. When you see these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation draws near. We may be closer to the return of Jesus than any of us can imagine. Which should always be our attitude. Now, uh, going out to your questions, here's a fun one from Craig, who wants to know, when Jesus prayed, i.e. spoke with the Father, were there times like us where Jesus wouldn't have heard back immediately? Thank you. Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, This is an unfortunate aspect of the way prayer is oftentimes either portrayed by charlatans, without pulling any punches, or by popular media and culture and saying when things really happen is when God audibly gets involved in your prayer. That's how you know that you're praying right. Well, audibly or by immediate action and response. Yeah, and interestingly enough, in the life and ministry of Jesus, as far as what we're told, the interesting aspect of Jesus' prayer life is there was only one situation where Jesus got an immediate verbal response, and he goes on to emphasize, that wasn't even for my benefit. Let me read it. This is in John chapter 12 and verse 30. Actually, let me uh, start in verse 27. Jesus said, "'Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour.'" Now here's the prayer. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I'll give you ten guesses, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, a reference to crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. And then John goes on to explain in verse 33, he said this signifying by what death he would die. Then they got confused at this saying, and he clarified, I'm not going to be with you much longer. So the point of emphasis is, in this model demonstration of prayer and the immediate response from the Father, we see that that wasn't even meant to communicate anything for the prayer or the prayee. The only reason, well, not the only reason, but the primary reason for Jesus' incarnation was to ultimately not only result in mankind's salvation, a la Daniel 9.24, but also, as John chapter 1 tells us, introducing the theme of the whole book, show us the character of the Father with skin on. God the Son would bear more testimony to God the Father's nature than anything or anyone else ever could. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father 
Father, he has revealed him. And thus yeah. the point is being made. So in answer to the prayer, this purpose was continuing to be fulfilled. Now, obviously, Jesus was in great emotional distress. We see this up to the nth degree when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know Jesus wasn't just praying this emptily or through platitudes, but in light of the purpose he was coming to this world to accomplish, that voice was in line with it. And this is where we need to be very careful about the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer isn't for God to answer you. The purpose of prayer is not for God to get you what you want. The purpose of prayer is not my will be done. What is it? Well, a couple things. First of all, prayer is a conduit to receive the blessings of God. We receive strength in our prayer life. I think of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, notice there's that balance there. Uh, prayer wasn't uh, Jesus' way of getting what he wanted from the Father. Rather, it was uh, his way of aligning his will with the Father's will. Getting what and, he needed and, from and the Father. And concurrently, uh, because of that, he received the spiritual intervention of the angel who uh, probably saved, preserved his life at that point. If you are uh, to the point where your blood pressure is spiking, uh, to the point where the uh, capillaries under your sweat glands are bursting, and you're sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, condition uh, that uh, doctors called hematotrosis, uh, you're in pretty dire straits. But uh, the Lord did provide him that strength there. But the key thing uh, is this, and, and I think people miss out on this. You know, there, there are those who look at prayer and they go, oh, um, I haven't received an answer to my prayer yet. Well, we need to understand that the minute that we pray, uh, and we pray according to his will, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the requests which we have made of him in whatever we ask. So, you know, the, the interesting principle in that is uh, the Father's answer to our prayer is immediate. You know, he hears us. The idea isn't that if we don't pray according to his will, he can't, you know, his miracle ears turn down. Oh, what, what did you say? No, the idea is hearing with a response. And one of the things that I think has really helped me in my prayer life, and, and maybe it'll help you, Craig, is realizing that the minute we pray, God answers. He answers in one of three ways. Either yes, which we love, no, which maybe we can learn to live with, or wait, which is the toughest part of things. Uh, sometimes there is that uh, time interval between God's answer to our prayers and the time that we receive it according to his sovereignty and according to his will. But the key thing is praying in Jesus' name. What does that mean exactly? Praying in reflection of his character, who himself said, I do all things that please the Father. So if I'm in alignment with his will, his right. purposes, like Jesus and the redemption of mankind, then we can put ourselves essentially in a situation destined for success, if you mind the term. Yeah, and, and, and we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of looking at tacking the words in Jesus' name on the end of our prayers like it was some kind of open sesame or you know some kind of magic incantation that will make God do whatever we want. To pray in Jesus' name. 
you know, I guess maybe the best way to understand it is if, say, legally I'm given the charge to act in the name of another person, that means that I don't have the latitude to act in my own interests or according to my own priorities, but only according to the interests and priorities of that person who has given that authority to me. And so when I pray in Jesus' name, uh, what I'm saying in essence to God is this. I don't want my will. I want your will, Father. I don't want my priorities. I want Jesus' priorities for my life. I don't want to rely on my own wisdom and strength. I want your Holy Spirit to come alongside and give me the wisdom and insight that I'm going to need. That's what we mean when we say in Jesus' name. And I love that because there's sometimes quite frankly, Craig, we don't know what to pray for. Or sometimes we think we know what to pray for, and it's completely wrong-headed. But when we, at the end of our prayers, just like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, uh, pray that prayer, we can know 100% of the time, first of all, according to 1 John 5, he's going to hear that prayer and answer affirmatively. We can give the situation over in his hands. That would, that's what it means to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. We pray, we put it in God's hands, and then we can wait expectantly to see how he's going to answer. Not necessarily how God's going to come around to my way of thinking, but what it means for us to come around to God's way of thinking, right? Right. So just to recap the point that's being made, when we expect, you know, obviously Jesus' prayers to be the perfect model, we don't see immediate audible answers. And the only time there was an audible answer even given to Jesus, it wasn't for his benefit, it was for those listening. Why? Because the overall purpose of prayer was the same purpose that that voice accomplished, to show those listening, even though they didn't get it, the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be and what he was doing in alignment with the Father's will. Our prayer lives model after Jesus's, not in saying, okay, so how do I go to Jerusalem and get crucified for the sins of mankind? No, I say, what is ultimately God's purpose for me, and how do I become a part of that? Sometimes it's just by continuing to be faithful in the little things. Sometimes it's just continuing to be patient when it's not easy. And other times it's also just giving yourself the opportunity to say, hey, I'm in need of the same mercy that I would not want to show in this situation or circumstance, whether it's the fact I'm not in alignment with God's heart, God, bring me in alignment with your character. Right. I'm not where you want me to be in life, or I am. God, help me to be the kind of person that can get through this properly. Or, God, where do you want me to be in life? And he will open doors. But if we, again, come to prayer with false expectations, then we'll end up disappointed. If we come to prayer with false intentions or misguided intentions, we're always going to end up disappointed. If we understand what prayer is, what it was meant for, and what it ultimately is going to do, then we can not only look for the results, but never find ourselves disappointed because it was what God was going to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's a similar question, I think, that dovetails with this on uh, our, uh, our Facebook page. It comes to us from Christopher. Uh, Christopher said, I was stricken with anxiety the last seven months after COVID. I know that we're not to be anxious for anything and that peace is promised to us who walk in uh, Thanksgiving, according to Philippians 4, etc. 
You're, you're right on with that, Christopher. If God allowed this to happen, why would he command me to do something when I have no control over the cortisol dumps and the fight or flight uh, that seems to be happening for no reason? Is he teaching me something? So what purpose do our emotions serve? What's the difference between being anxious in the way Paul expressed in Philippians 4 as opposed to a natural fear yeah, response, well, etc.? Well, yeah, Philippians 4 uh, tells us, be anxious for nothing, Verse 7, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, Christopher, if I'm understanding your question correctly, and please uh, feel free to interact if I'm, I'm missing your point, uh, you had a reaction to having COVID, uh, you've had some ongoing symptoms that include anxiety, cortisol dumps, fight or flight reactions. Uh, you know, uh, there are all kinds of people that we run into, and you know, this is something that, Sean, you're familiar with. There's times where mentally uh, what you experience and what the scriptures promise can sometimes be two different things. And, and it's not a question of sin, and it's not a question of faithlessness. It's more or less in what you're saying here, Christopher's, uh, a, uh, a biological reaction. Uh, to what you're having. Your doctors told you, yeah, well, this is common, and some people following a bout of COVID will struggle with these ups and downs and these anxiety uh, attacks that are uh, basically generated uh, by these cortisol dumps and things like this. I've, I've heard that described in medical literature. So if we're experiencing something like this and we're not experiencing the peace of God, is it somehow... Uh, because our faith is defective, or what could God be teaching us in the midst of all of this? You know, the thing I've discovered uh, is this, Christopher. First of all, uh, our feelings aren't good, and our feelings aren't bad. They're just our feelings. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes we can be no more in control over our feelings than we can, say, be over our reflexes. And sometimes Christians will beat themselves up because they have feelings that they consider uh, to be less than godly, if you will. But, you know, to beat yourself up over having a feeling or some kind of a physical response to a, a, an ongoing condition uh, would be as silly as uh, going to the doctor, him saying, okay, I want you to cross your knees. He hits your knee with a mallet and your, your foot kicks up. Could you imagine uh, reacting to the doctor going, oh, you know, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and if I was really self-controlled, my knee wouldn't kick up when you hit it with that hammer. I guess I'm not a good Christian. Well, the doctor would look at you and go, well, that, that's a reflex. you got no control over that. Well, our emotions, in a sense, work the same way. Our emotions can be a uh, reflex to conditions, even physical states that are going on in our body. And we have no more control over that emotion than we do over a reflex. Yeah, it's like asking, why would God allow my leg to hurt? Well, because the bone's broken. There's something that needs to be fixed there. Yeah, but when we experience, uh, say, an emotion, the big question isn't, are we experiencing an emotion, you know, in your case, a fight or flight reaction or a sense of anxiety. The big question is, what are we going to do with that emotion? Are we going to allow that emotion to be that which masters our life and guides and directs us and controls our behavior? Well, one of the things you've probably heard often on this program, because we deal with this question a lot, is that your emotions are excellent servants. 
and they can tell you about something that's going on in your body. In other words, the presence even of anxiety uh, based upon, say, COVID symptoms and things like this can tell you that you've got something going on in your body, that your body is still struggling with all of that. That is your emotion being an excellent servant, but it's a poor master. In other words, especially if you kind of know what the roots of all of this are all about. Uh, you can find yourself saying, okay, I'm really feeling anxious right now. I'm having this cortisol down. I'm in the fight or flight reaction. Doctors told me it is tied into COVID. I understand where that's coming from, and I understand why I'm feeling the way I am right now. But what does it mean for me in this set of circumstances to be faithful to the Lord uh, going into all this? You know, I think there's a really interesting example of uh, the Apostle Paul dealing with a similar set of circumstances to the one that you're describing here. You know, Paul talked about how God had given him just uh, a, a tremendous series uh, of visions, including a, an opportunity to see what the very dwelling place of God in heaven was all about. But in order for uh, Paul to avoid being exalted above measure, by the abundance of these revelations, he said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So here you see, Christopher, that when you feel like the, you know, this anxiety attack, the emotions tend to overwhelm you. You know, it uh, reminds me of the old saw that the uh, Chinese character for crisis is made up of two characters. One is danger and the other is opportunity. Uh, in that set of circumstances, there's a danger because your emotions can push you to take matters into your own hands and, and try to forget the fact that the Lord is with you and that he is watching out for you. But there's also an opportunity there to realize that, like a lot of things, an emotional storm is going to pass sooner or later. And, you know, what you have to do is kind of settle yourself down, uh, e even in spite of the fact it's the last thing in the world you feel like doing at this point, to spend some time renewing your mind on the Word of God, remembering the promises of God's Word. Uh, one that I go to, or actually three I go to when I feel like I'm emotionally overwhelmed, whether it's a physical cause or circumstantial, three scriptures. Number one, I go to Hebrews 13.5. There God said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. No matter what my emotions might be saying at a particular moment, I realize, okay, God, you haven't gone anywhere. Then I remember Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? If he didn't spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? You know, I, and then I remember something. God's not only with me, he's for me. He wants to see me succeed and even spiritually prosper in this set of circumstances. Then I remember Isaiah 26, 3, and this is my go-to verse, Sean. You probably get tired of me uh, uh, reiterating this. But there we read, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Well, if I'm going through a time where I'm not experiencing that perfect peace, and like you mentioned, Christopher, maybe it's a cortisol dump, maybe it's my circumstances, maybe it's uh, the patterns that I've adopted for trying to manage life in the past without the Lord falling back on those things, fear rather than faith is running the show. 
God promises he will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind has stayed on him because he trusts in him. If fear rather than faith is running the show, and sometimes it does, one of two things is true in my life. Either my mind isn't stayed on God or I'm not trusting him. And if that's the problem, that's also the prescription. And so what I will do in prayer is just go, Lord, you realize, you know, that this storm is going on inside of me, this emotional upheaval is happening. Lord, just give me the grace to focus in on you again. And Lord, uh, I want to trust you with either this, you know, uh, physical manifestation of, of, in your case, COVID, uh, or in my sister, this circumstance that's going on, this difficult person I'm dealing with, uh, you know, whatever might be happening. And when I turn that over to the Lord, boy, that's when Philippians chapter four, uh, verses six through seven kicks in. Uh, that's when that peace of God inevitably comes back to me. It might take a little while, might take five minutes, might take an hour, but inevitably when I pray in faith and ask the Lord uh, once again to restore that perfect peace to me and I focus in on him and his word, then I don't have to be acted upon by my emotions. I can act even in spite of my emotions. And like the Apostle Paul said there, you know, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I realize, boy, Lord, unless you save my bacon here, uh, I'm not going to get anywhere good. Uh, over and over again, uh, Christopher, I, I've experienced how the Lord will lift me up. But I have to recognize that sometimes in those situations, uh, my emotions are trying to master me. And only the master is the one who can control my emotions. And so if you go in faith to the Lord in those set of circumstances and patiently wait, kind of dovetailing with that other question about God's timing there, then then the Lord is is going to, to be there for us. Anything you'd, you'd add to that, Sean? You kind of go through these struggles from time to time. Yeah, and the best thing for it is to not draw too much attention to it. Just make sure that I'm thankful every moment for the times of peace and also the mercy I'm shown during times of not so much. Yeah. The point, though, still stands. Just stick to what you know and let feelings pass in their own time. And, and the more you experience that and learn not to give way to your emotions, but overcome your emotions, uh, the more it's going to become second nature to you. It's, it's something that, in a sense, we've got to work out and practice in our lives. All right. Yeah. Uh, question from Yari. A word of faith teacher told him when asked, uh, why doesn't God heal everyone? Uh, he says, I don't know why, only God knows, but God promises to heal. And then to emphasize this, he said, we live by faith, not by sight. So um, as false teachers false teach, let's uh, clarify the passage in its full context and make sure that we make careful note to mention that in the entire chapter, healing is not mentioned once. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, chapter 5. Again, I'll start in verse 1, and I'll continue to most of verse 9. It goes and, on to note judgment. But and, let me, and this is about walking by faith and not by sight. Verse what, is seven, that, what does that mean? Verse exactly. 7 is where this passage comes in. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Is this in perspective to why God doesn't fall into our programs, why God doesn't heal? No. Watch Paul's topic, first of all. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, so he's defining his illustration before he illustrates it, and then goes on to define what he means. 
we have a building from God. So notice the contrast, a tent as opposed to a building. This body is a tent, the next life is a building. And this note also builds on a point he made in 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the same audience, chapter 15. Remember that is important too. We have a building with God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is also an allusion to what he told to Thomas in John 14. For in this we groan, now, reference to Romans 8, obviously it's not fun being in this body. We all have our hand, uh, handicaps and habits, right. but note this interesting point he follows through on, not in the removal of those things, but the introduction of new things. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Remember the body. Remember the point he was making there, the new body. Yeah. If indeed having been clothed, we, not sh- we shall not be found naked. We're not going to be disembodied spirits in heaven will have a body that doesn't have this one's uh, bearings and benefits. Uh, For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, Christians aren't suicidal, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Again, I'm being fast in this, but just note the flow of the topic. Right. He's making reference after reference, cross point after cross point, that other passages in the same context will emphasize over and over again. If he mentions the Holy Spirit, like he did in Ephesians, as a guarantee, is that of our healing or of our ultimate salvation, the afterlife? Not this life, not our health in this life, not our well-being, our wealth, or, or wisdom in this life. It is the state that we have before God when this life ultimately reaches its end. Notice the theme is constant and not in any way associated with this false teacher. So notice in continuing on, being swallowed up by life, being prepared for this very thing, the spirit as the guarantee, not of healing, of the resurrected body. The topic is the building versus right. the tent. Right. Verse 6, so in light of that, the fact that we've been given the spirit, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, We are absent from the Lord. That's an ongoing rule, a truth statement, that if we're physically on this earth and physically in this mortal body, we are not with the Lord in the sense of this habitation with heaven. But, verse 7, it says, For, in light of what? The fact we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Continuing on in the same point, we are confident, literally the definition of faith, Yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 9, therefore, in light of what? The fact that we are separate from God, but expecting to be with God someday, that we have the Spirit as the guarantee that we'll be with God, not in a judgment sense, but in a living sense, in right. a relational sense. Right. He says, therefore, in light of the what? Not the fact that we're healed, not the fact that we'll always be healed, the fact that the afterlife awaits and it's a good thing. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether living or new living, <laughs> right. to be well-pleasing to him, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body based on what, uh, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, meaning useful. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust we are well known in your consciences. Now, 
a lot of interesting information there, a lot of details that I hopefully I was brief but clear about. Yeah. No mention of physical healing, no mention of consolation as far as whether or not this system works. No answer was actually given by that false teacher, Yari, in regards to the question that you asked. Why are we not always healed? Well, we walk by faith, not by sight, as if that means something. That quote is from a statement noting a hopeful expectation of the afterlife and how that expectation impacts the way we morally live this life. Yeah. Read the If someone, and this is the point, same applies to us. If someone comes up to you and quotes a third of a verse <laughs> and says, well, just remember that, look it up, look at the entire chapter, maybe even the whole book if you have to, but pay careful attention to the flow of the point and make sure that it's not being misrepresented. And note, I'd like to be gracious. Sometimes we've tripped over our words, making an allusion to something because it was in our minds and maybe didn't quite think that through. That's a possibility. Yeah. But if they... And you specified this, Yari, a part of the word faith movement, and we know the false doctrines that are associated with that group, right. were to utilize this term faith as this sort of divine essence in you that gives you the opportunity and ability to do things only God can rightly do in this blasphemous deification of man, then I have no patience for it. And note, if I seem to get testy on the air, it's because I am. <laughs> uh, as someone who's called to be a pastor, a shepherd of the flock, I get angry when I see some people going after the sheep. I care about your spiritual well-being as well as, and always in my mind, the, the spiritual well-being of people under my authority. And if I see and hear people talking this way, I think of them listening to this and then going on their own walks with God accordingly. I get miffed, and Jesus shares that sentiment. But note the point. Be very careful if someone quotes to you a passage and doesn't specify the context. Paul, when he made the illustration of the tent versus the building, was following up on two whole chapters of information, and in a point that is 11 verses long, not one. Okay, so when we see the statement, we walk by faith, not by sight, mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with physical healing. Not it, in that passage. If you can apply it to healing in an ultimate sense and saying, the burdens I have in this life, like say you're going through chronic pain, that could be one of the groanings and saying, when this body is finally done with, right. then I can know the hopeful expectation of the new body that will come. But if I apply, well, I walk by faith, not by sight, as, well, God will heal this eventually because he has to. That's false doctrine. Or, or even the idea you, you hear taught about negative confessions, yeah. that if you uh, say, oh, I'm feeling sick, then you've uh, pretty much uh, written your own uh, destiny because your words create reality and so on. You know, what, what Paul is saying there is something that's far more realistic, Yari, and, and requires more faith than I think you see sometimes in the faith movement. We realize that in this body, we groan. Um, Paul was very specific about that. We live in a fallen world. You and I are fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And because of that, we are going to experience pain. We are going to experience the decay, eventually the returning to dust of these physical bodies if the Lord tarries. But we have faith knowing that there is going to come a time where this is not going to be characteristic of our existence. Boy, I love what uh, Revelation chapter 21 says about this. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, there is going to come a day when we're all going to be physically healed completely. Now, does that mean that God won't physically heal people in uh, this era? No, we should pray and we should ask uh, according to God's will for that healing. And sometimes God does give us previews of coming attractions, if you will, miraculous manifestations of his healing in this day and age. We shouldn't uh, turn our back on that possibility. But if God says, no, I've got a greater healing for you, even the greatest physical healing that uh, we receive, Yari, is only a temporary thing. I think about uh, the miraculous healing of uh, your grandfather, my dad, uh, from lymphoma cancer, uh, you know, one that was verified by his own oncologist. It took that supernatural intervention from God to uh, really open up my dad and your grandfather's eyes, the fact that God loved him and that uh, Jesus was real and that he wanted him as his savior in his life. Now, the, the problem being God did intervene in that miraculous way, but a couple years later, his cancer came back, and a couple years after that, uh, he went home to be with the Lord. Now, I would say that right now, my dad and your grandfather is completely and totally healed. He doesn't have to deal with cancer ever again. So why did God miraculously intervene? Because it was a way for the Lord to get my dad's attention for the ultimate healing that he needed. If there was an easier way, it would have been better, but God knew what he needed. And, and what was the ultimate healing he needed? The he healing needed from sin and death. So, you know, God will do all kinds of things to get our attention. God will do all kinds of things to ease uh, our burdens from time to time. But it is always, always, always in light of the ultimate healing that he is going to perform. We see him face to face. Uh, when we are everything that God created us to be and have our resurrection bodies, we're not going to need the gift of healing anymore because we're going to be completely healed and we're not going to have these things in our lives ever again. All right. Um, Follow-up from Christopher regarding the previous, previous question regarding the anxiety issue. I'm going to be brief, not because it's not important, but because we've got two more questions that are all so good, and I want to dedicate the fleeting amount of time we still have yeah. to them appropriately. Uh, he wants to know, if I learn that lesson, will God eventually heal me of this? That's not promised, Christopher. And Possibly. I don't, you I, don't know. That's not <laughs> promised, though, and that shouldn't be held to. There's an example of someone, and I can testify in my own way as well immediately to your situation uh, where Paul the Apostle had an ongoing struggle. We aren't told what it was. But yeah, it we, was, we read about that in 2 Corinthians 12. Yeah, yeah and that's the, the, the point. thorn in the flesh. But yeah. no, Jesus' response to him wasn't, well, Paul, once you learn your lesson in humility, then I'll take away this thorn. No, he says, my strength is sufficient for you, for my power right. is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul's takeaway was, learning the lesson, therefore I will boast all the more in my weakness that Christ's power may be manifest in me. The point being made is and again, I struggle with this ongoing um, issue myself, not just in a physical sense, but spiritual, moral, anything you want to name. 
God hasn't taken those things away, and I don't hold that against them because A, didn't promise it, but B, also, I would have not be as close to him uh, without those things in my life than I would be today. And knowing how to appropriately respond to these issues in this life is going to accomplish something far greater than if I didn't have them. Note it's not fun, but I'm thankful for them because I know I'm just so sinful and fallen that these are the sort of things, like with Epaw, that God has to use to get our attention. Christopher, again, it's not fun, but you don't want to set yourself up for spiritual disaster by holding God to things he never said, or um, basically disowning or condemning God for something he never was. Uh, People leave the faith because God didn't follow through for them. Well, when did he say that? Well, God should have done those things. Says who? Yeah. Again, not saying this is your imposition or accusation, just make sure you're avoiding the early steps towards that. Yeah. Because it presu- doesn't lead anywhere good. Yeah. Presumption is a, is a real danger, I think, Christopher, uh, presuming to know exactly, you know, how God needs to work, when God's going to take something away. Uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is right now, this is an issue that you got to deal with. And the best way to deal with it is when it comes your way, just saying, okay, I'm not going to take a look at this as uh, something that is here to defeat me, it's here to complete me. And, and so as often as you have to deal with it, Christopher, if you deal with it in faith and learn to overcome your feelings and emotions and uh, cortisol dumps and everything else, uh, then you're going to reap eternal rewards about all of that. And God is going to work out Christ-like character in your, your heart and life. You couldn't receive any other way. All right, really, really brief. Um, an individual wants those three verses you gave as answers for anxiety real quick for future note. Okay, Hebrews 13:5. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? If he didn't spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? And Isaiah 26, 3. That is, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. All right, let us know if that was brief enough, and note, uh, if you need to listen to this broadcast again, we do have it recorded on YouTube and Facebook and our website for feature listening. Uh, Brief question from Isaiah, who wants to know if uh, God may have used black holes to create the universe. Thank you. Uh, Isaiah, we don't know everything there is to know about black holes, and we need to be very careful with this sort of pseudoscientific approach and saying if we start to learn something about something, but not everything there is to know about something, and then we read Scripture into incomplete information in a worldly sense, we're either setting up the discrediting of the faith, or we're misrepresenting scientific discoveries that aren't even actually discovered fully yet. There's, it started with the theory, we got visual confirmation of something being the aftermath of the collapse of a star, but it's not rational to then conclude, oh, so the aftermath of the collapse of a star, could that be the creation of new stars? We haven't observed that, we can't, so don't read that into Genesis. Yeah, the, the one thing I would say uh, about that, uh, is it Isaiah who's asking that, yeah. that question? There's a fascinating book, if you want to explore it, uh, by Dr. Russ Humphreys. He was a guest on the program a few years ago. He, it's called Starlight and Time. Uh, and what uh, Dr. Humphreys suggests is that God may have used white hole phenomena and uh, the idea of a gravity well where all the creation was initially at one place and then the universe spread out by God uh, to affect uh, the creation. There's 
uh, positives and then there's difficulties with that particular theory. Uh, get a hold of it, uh, Starlight and Time. I believe it's published by Master Books. You can get it on uh, Amazon and uh, and read it. Uh, you know, it is a theory. It's not wholly writ, but uh, if you're interested in those things, it, it's a very interesting read, and it can get as technical as you want to get. All right. Uh, question from Nina. Do, does the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son know things the other doesn't? Uh, no. When we're talking about the distinctions in the Trinity, the only differences between them are in responsibilities, not in what they are by nature. Remember, who God is is Father, Son, and Spirit. What God is is God. God, by nature, is omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, etc. There are theories as to God willfully, God the Son specifically, limiting his omniscience and omnipresence when he took on flesh, but the example you gave of, for instance, yeah. uh, the Son saying, let us go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and see if these things are so. Remember, God the Son was with Abraham. He sent the angels to verify those things. He already knew. It would be like saying, well, God didn't know where Adam and Eve were in the garden. No, it was a bit of condescension in his part. And, and the sending down of the angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if these things are so wasn't because God needed intel. It was because God wanted to do a work in Abraham's life and in Lot's life. Yeah. So, so yeah. when we're talking about this, it was an act of mercy, not an act of clarification. If you want to know uh, some passages of God being all-knowing, we know that God the Father is all-knowing in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, where it notes, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. This is also a trait given to God the Son in John 16 and verse 30, where Jesus notes, or Jesus is spoken of by uh, the Apostle, and I believe it was Peter who said, we know, Lord, that you know all things, and have no need to question you, for this, by this we believe you came from God, and also the Holy Spirit is noted as omniscient in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, no one knows the deep things of God except the Spirit of God, and who searches and knows all things. But the point being made is that uh, God isn't limited in his knowledge, and even if there are theories in approaching, well, what about the Incarnation? That's the exception, not what God is by nature. Yeah, in his Incarnation, Jesus laid aside the voluntary exercise of his privileges and prerogatives, powers as God, only did what the Father told him to do through the power of the Spirit, so that he could be the perfect example to us, and that's why there were certain times where Jesus uh, said, uh, no one knows, say, for instance, the, the day of the return, uh, not even the Son, but the Father only. Uh, but he has put in his own authority. Yeah. Note that. Yeah. So uh, it was that voluntary lack of accessing that independent of the Father and the Spirit's will. At that moment, it wasn't important for Jesus to know the day or hour of the return or to relate that. So, But we see in Acts 1, after the resurrection, that knowledge uh, might have been restored to yes. us. Uh, Claudia wants to know, we'll finish with this, how can praising God bless him? Well, bless to be supremely happy. There was a line from C.S. Lewis who said, God cannot give us a peace or a happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. When we praise or acknowledge the good things that God has done, God knows that's the best thing we could be doing because it's focusing on the best possible thing and not us. Right. When we have the opportunity to share God's heart, it would be like the same kind of blessing as uh, you seeing me as a little guy eat my vegetables for the first time voluntarily. You see the mindset. <laughs> it's a blessing yeah. to him, not because he knows I need the nutrition or I'll die, but because I'm doing good things for myself, and that blesses his heart. God bless you. We'll see you all again tomorrow. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. 
You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.